Welcome to the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser Podcast, where we help nonprofits reimagine generosity and put the joy back in fundraising. Hear from leading nonprofit fundraisers and marketers as they reveal strategies for strengthening donor relationships to propel your nonprofit forward. Hey, everybody, this is Gabe from the Virtuous Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have Brad Davies with us. Brad is the fundraiser in chief at Hatch Fundraising. Um, he's a longtime friend, a well known expert in fundraising and online fundraising. And uh, couldn't be more excited to have him here. So, hey, Brad. Gabe, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. So, uh, I could probably give the history, your history, or Hatch's history at this point, but I'd, I'd love to hear it from you. Will you take a couple minutes just to tell us about your background, how you got into fundraising, and, and the impetus for Hatch? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'd love to. So, I got my career started at working for a nonprofit. And then I kind of rose the ranks, became the executive director. Uh, I then jumped over to a uh, consulting agency because I just found that work more uh, intriguing and wanted to work with more groups. And uh, from there, um, really kind of learned the craft and then had, had jumped around a couple more times before I, I started Hatch. And really Hatch is kind of born out of my experience as a nonprofit executive, as a, as a fundraising consultant, as a technology guy and uh, an optimizer and just how do we wrap all that into helping nonprofits leverage all those things to get the most out of what they're doing. And lately Hatch, we've been really, really focused on how do we find new donors for organizations and then how do we make those donors become lifelong supporters? Uh, we feel like there's a big gap between new donors and acquisition and then the, the retention and the lapsing of those folks. And we think if we can fix that, we can solve a lot of the challenges around uh, bad retention rates, low lifetime value, and some of those things. So we're spending a lot of time thinking and helping our clients with that specifically. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love, uh, we've talked a little bit about that before, but I love what you guys are doing. It's a drum that we pound often is that getting that second gift is so much easier in some ways than, than getting the first, but it can be sort of critical to the health of your organization. So focusing on those first couple of gifts on the funnel is, is great. Um, and what's happening, I mean, just to talk about it a little bit is it's getting worse. Uh, 2015 stats I'm looking at, you know, retention rate of first time donors was 35%. Well then, uh, last year was like down to 33%. This year it bounces around, but it's anywhere between like 25 and 29%. So we're getting worse at this. And what that means in terms of if you've acquired a hundred new donors, you're only going to retain 25 of them. So next year you have 25 of those hundred and then only 60% of them are going to give a gift that next year. So within three years, really by that second year from a hundred dollars, hundred donors you acquired, you're looking at 15 people on your file. And when you look at the lifetime value of these folks, it's just like, it's no wonder the numbers aren't working. It's just no wonder churn rates are huge and costs are going up and nonprofits are like, we don't have enough resources to do what it is, do what we need to do because we can't keep our donors long enough. Yep. And it's just a perpetuating cycle. So we're really trying to, help people sort that out. And I know, you know, virtuous software, it's got tools to help people identify that and create workflows. But we think it's more than just doing welcome series and being focused on it. It's like creating empathy. It's really knowing your donors yep. and what connected them initially. And how do we then uh, use that to create lifelong partnerships and relationships? I think it's crucial. And uh, most people are not paying attention to it. Oh, that's great. I, man, I couldn't agree more. I love that. 
Well, I know one of the big things you've been doing lately is kind of working on this uh, digital fundraising academy. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, sort of what your goal is with that, with that effort? Yeah, this is kind of, again, born out of my experience, but as I talk to clients, um, mainly groups that um, are just getting started or they're trying to sort it out and they just don't understand digital. They're like, we have emails, but we have Facebook. And so what I did is just try to create a structure and um, some systems that would help them understand what's critical in, in doing, getting started in digital fundraising. What are, what are things you need to pay attention to? What are things you can avoid? And then what are the basics of those and kind of walking them through training of that? How do you write a good uh, subject line for an email? What is a good, what's a good landing page look like and how do you create the aspects on that page that get people to convert? How do you have a highly valuable email signup? Uh, so, so you're grabbing and adding more people to your file that you can communicate with. And so we've walked people through those kind of basic principles and then like release them to go, then go do it. Uh, Cause they learn best when they kind of get into it, but oftentimes they don't even know where to start. So we've been trying to create uh, really educational pieces that, that work for them to, to do that. And, um, it's been fun to do because uh, anytime you go back to the basics, you think, is this the way to do it? And it changes, yeah. you know, any more, you know, what an email, good email looks like. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the desktop. It's got to work for a mobile. So, yeah. you know, design is being de-emphasized and language and copy and continuity is way more important than it was previously. And yeah. so helping people understand that and stick to those principles is, uh, it's been fun. And so that's what we've been doing with the digital fundraising Academy. That's great. Okay, so one of the things I know you've been really involved in um, over the last four years is sort of scorecarding nonprofits and identifying common problems. I know you've looked at hundreds, what is like 400 national nonprofits you guys have worked with. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what that process has looked like and some of the insights you've gained, some of the common problems that you're seeing across nonprofits in terms of fundraising strategy. Yeah, that's been such a fun kind of ongoing thing. And it came, it was just an idea. It's like, what if we just looked at the websites of organizations and, and there's certain things we were seeing that were like best practices or even just let's look at how a lot of people handle the email signup and what's it look like, what it looks like to be a donor to over a lot of different organizations. Cause you get somewhat off. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Well, that's cool. It's like, what if we like systematic and look for certain things across a lot of groups? So that's what we did. We called the online fundraising scorecard. And we looked at a hundred and uh, initially we looked at 172, 162 organizations that were uh, national nonprofits, a hundred of which are on the Chronicle of philanthropies top 400. So these are big charities and we gave them gifts and we looked at like how easy is it to sign up for email and how often do they send communications and when they do send communications, what are they like and what's it look like to give a gift and how well do they think people? And it was quick to see like there was a lot of haves and have nots and it wasn't so much what we thought it'd be around budget size. Uh, in fact, some of the largest groups had the worst processes uh, that's mainly related. You know, we initially did this back in 2014 to their technology and some of the other challenges of being a really large billion dollar nonprofit is you can't move as nimble and you can't adopt some stuff, but also some of the smaller guys weren't doing well either. So we started to look at some of those issues. Then we went back and refreshed it thinking, surely it's gotten better. So back two years ago, we went back, kind of went to the same groups, looked at the same kind of stuff. And what we're finding is uh, the technology in general has improved for nonprofits, uh, which is great. That's a testament to kind of the work you guys are doing at Virtuous and some other groups. Uh, but the messaging, the why is still awful. They're still not, in, in general, organizations are not giving donors a compelling reason to give. It's easier to give because it's like now mobile responsive where four years ago it wasn't. 
so it's easier to give. It's great, but they're still like, hey, just give to us because we said so. Not, hey, here's a way you can change this child's life. or Here's how you can have the dramatic impact on things that you care about. There's none of that. We're really missing kind of the value proposition, the why. Uh, the other piece that was interesting is some of the things you think would be embedded into groups is just not. One of the things we looked at was the welcome series. So after a person gives a gift or they come onto the, the file for the first time, how many people send them a strategic uh, set of communications uh, to make sure that they're kind of welcomed and understand what's going on in ways they can get more involved. And so back when we first, time, first did it, 84% of groups did not have any kind of welcome series. We refreshed it, did it again two years later, and it still hadn't jumped up. So there's still 70% weren't sending any resemblance of a, a welcome series. Wow. And so it's like, man, we're still really dragging. We still are missing some of these things that online marketing and in e-commerce guys have just bedded in like, of course you're doing these things. And we flip it over to the nonprofit side and they're not. And so there's a lot of ground to be made up and I think it's going to really improve if people adopt these things and get serious about like a welcome series it's not a hard automation to create uh, but if I get serious about it I think it'll really help create greater affinity between the donors and the organization and improve their overall results uh, so there's still some big gaps but it was really fun to go and look at that and it made us like you know look at well you know how many people can we get to chant uh, how many forms can we like have the donor pay for pay for the credit card fee or not. And so you start to get some um, longitudinal data as well as some stuff that's like, this is interesting. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's interesting to look at where the industry is going and what what's it like to be a donor uh, to these organizations. And most of the time it's not it's not great, but the ones that are great really stand out. You're like, well, no wonder they're crushing it because they, they welcome people. They're really thankful. They're sincere. Their process is easy. It's clear what I'm giving to. It's like, I would give to these people every day, you know, every year for sure. I totally get it. And others are like, man, you couldn't, I, there's no way I'd give this group. They don't feel like they care. They don't, they're not sincere in how they thank me. They rarely communicate with me. Uh, so it's been really eye-opening and a fun thing to do and then to provide the results back to the industry uh, that just helps inform and improves everything that we're all doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love the sort of the data-driven aspect of it too. Um, you, you know, you can say a lot of this stuff all day, but the the data really speaks volumes and even just the data on how many people don't send a welcome series is still mind boggling to me when you think about what a massive impact that has. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, when you think about relationships and how important like first impressions are and, you know, and you know, with, with someone you're trying to get to know, like initially, like how you set up that, that relationship is crucial. So same for donors and, and nonprofits. It's like the better impression you can have, the more you can show empathy and relate to what they're doing and, and say that we care about what you care about, the more likely to embed that relationship and really strengthen it. Instead, most groups send a, hey, thanks for giving, or it got you on the email and then it starts to get generic communications that don't respond to why I was initially drawn to the organization. And it's just a miss. Uh, so that's why we see <laughs> retention rates of 25% of new donors. It's just because we're not connecting with those people and giving them a compelling reason to come back. Um, yeah. Some of it's been technology, but a lot of it's kind of know-how. And, uh, you know, if we can close that gap, I think as an industry, we're going to see much better results. And donors are going to be happier and give more because they're going to be treated better. That's right. Ah, totally. Well, so, okay, um, that, like, Welcome series is one piece of the pie. I know though that you're thinking even much more holistically about fundraising strategy in general. So stepping back to kind of 10,000 feet, if I'm setting up a, a fundraising strategy for the first time, what do I need to be looking at? What are kind of the, the key ingredients in a more comprehensive strategy? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we kind of look at basics around um, a communication program that's doing um, four things well, that one's kind of telling the need that's out there, uh, that's giving people a chance to respond to that need. It's appealing consistently, not you know once a year, not quarterly, but like consistently giving people a chance to get involved. And then the big piece is reporting back. What happened? Uh, I asked you to give, you gave, what did you do with that money? Here's the impact you had. So we're doing that report back as well as then educating or informing donors around other things they care about that your organization does. It doesn't have to always be appeals. In fact, it shouldn't be, but other things that you're showing either impact or you're saying, thank you so much for enabling this, or here's something you might want to know about this, our cause or about this issue. And so informing. So that's a big thing is just having consistent communications that kind of cover all the bases in terms of here's the problem. Here's how you can solve it. Here's what we did with it. And here's other things that you care about that we're actively involved in. So that's a big piece. Uh, the other thing I think when you look at comprehensive fundraising is really having an, a deep understanding of your donors uh, and a real empathy for what they're going through and what's it like to, for them to be like. Because often we treat them, and I'm not talking about, Gabe, you'll know this, I'm not talking about like, you know, 50 plus women who are typical donors uh, to all organizations. I'm, I'm thinking through, um, uh, that's great, but like what, what program does she watch on TV? How often is she on Facebook? Understanding like what magazines, if she could, would she read or what kind of books? Like if you really start to get in the mind of the donor, it becomes so much easier to communicate on their level and to say, you know what she's going to care about? She's going to care about these things that we're doing. Then let's talk about those things. Let's not talk about the new staff member we added. Let's not talk about the new building we're, we're walking into that, you know, we got new office space or we got new chairs around the boardroom. Let's talk to the donor in ways that she understands. So really creating understanding who they are and knowing them, uh, knowing how they might order at a restaurant or what their favorite coffee drink is. If you can go to that extreme, you're really going to be able to then communicate to them uh, what your organization is doing and how they can have an impact. And I think that's crucial. And a lot of that comes down to like, let's just ask them, let's set up surveys and say, what's the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? And then use that in the communications to improve it. Uh, so what, you know, it's a comprehensive fundraising strategy is not hard. It's just know your donors and then communicate how that they can have an impact on things that they care about, which is what you do. They need you, but let's show them how you kind of connect those two dots for them. Um, and so trying to understand that and it happens through in person, it can happen through online surveys and all those things, but it's just spend time with them. So you understand what, what, what they're thinking, what they're feeling like, how, are they optimistic about the future? Why did they initially get involved with your cause? Was it a friend? Was it a child? Was it because of some life experience? That all helps then give you better uh, insight into the communications that are going to help drive more um, more revenue for the organization and just create greater bonds. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's amazing to me how few organizations just even have the basic idea of personas, which is pervasive in, in marketing outside of the nonprofit space. Is sort of you know who the people are you know, we talk about even personas we market to down to, hey, it's a director of marketing um, wearing horn rim glasses, skinny jeans, and he likes at least three different Netflix shows on Facebook, right? I mean, we have it sort of narrowed down to that point. That's how modern marketing works. But in the nonprofit space, I think we've been slow to do that. So that's that's great. And I really like to like um, – well, I'm going to get on a soapbox here. We should move on. I want to let you talk a little bit more, but that's that's such a a passion point for us is just truly knowing who people are, and then and then uh, fundraising and um, 
and basically giving first. One of the, the things, and I'll stop after this and let you talk, but uh, this last Mother's Day, if I'm going to give her, if I'm going to build a relationship with my wife, I need to give her um, a great gift and I need to give her a gift in a language that she's going to appreciate and understand. And I can't do that unless I know my wife, right? So when we're approaching new donors, just the idea of, hey, um, I need to go in with not a get mentality, like I'm going to get donations. I need to go in with a mentality of I'm going to give and be generous first and generosity begets generosity. And I can't give anything to my donor if I don't know them. Just That's in the so same good. way, I yeah. can't give a great gift to my wife on Mother's Day unless I know her. I can't give and be generous to my donor unless I know them first. And so people don't get that generosity begets generosity that way. But man, it's just so critical and it moves the needle so much. And it's not hard, right? It's almost just pay attention, right? Just pay attention. Like, That's right. And so like, how can organizations, how can nonprofits pay attention to their donors practically? What email subject lines do they open on and which ones don't they? Yeah. What things on Facebook do they like and which ones don't they? Yeah. Right? Let's pay attention to that. And which is, it kind of goes back to um, why I love what you guys are building at Virtuous is a 360 degree view of the donor where they pull in the email feeds. We're pulling in social media feeds. So we get a better sense for, hey, they clicked on this, they opened this. Well, that gives us some insight without even knowing them. So the, the first phone call could be well more, way more informed or we can start to then improve. Hey, listen, this didn't do well. People don't care about this cause or the way we framed it. So let's try it differently. Yeah. Uh, but it's that paying attention and it's hard to do because we all have, we're all time poor, but the systems that allow you to have that kind of insight, uh, like virtuous, like make that easier It make, it's just pull up the account ahead of the phone call or before, you know, uh, they're new and look at what's going on there. And that's going to give you that insight to, to know that person too. So you can be generous. So you can relate to them on their level, um, and improve that relationship so that down the road, it's going to reap real, real dividends. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm going to shift topics just a little bit here. Uh, I, I saw something in a Forbes article recently. It's like, uh, I think we made another 8% jump this year in online revenue, uh, online giving revenue. So we're making big jumps every year in the percentage of gifts given online. Um, though online giving is much bigger than just, did they fill out a web form or give some other way? Really in a, a new digital age, there's, there's sort of all sorts of impact for fundraising more than just how did I process my credit card. Uh, but I, I'd love for you to talk about two things. One is if you're fundraising kind of in this wild new uh, frontier um, where social is king and peer to peer is happening and people get all sorts of different messages. Um, how are you successful in that kind of world? And then, and then specifically around online giving, talk a little bit about some of the, the key elements or kind of core drivers of online revenue? Yeah, great question. Um, Cause it is kind of, it still feels like the wild west cause there's something new every day when it comes to online, different ways to give. Uh, but it comes back to kind of that second part of the question you asked is the three things that drive online revenue are traffic, average gift and conversion rate. That's it. Mm -hmm. Everything is a subset of those. And so you either want to get more people to your page or get in front of more people. You want more people to say yes and then you want more people to say, um, as a friend of ours, Tim says, heck yes. We want them to like give bigger and bigger gifts. So that's it. So using that paradigm and then looking at what's available online, there's, there's uh, crowdfunding, there's peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, Facebook and more social channels are allowing you to give. 
there's obviously email. There's just a lot text giving. I mean, you just go on and on and on. And so there's so much to do. It's like, uh, how do you kind of make sense of it? Cause it, it just seems like there's way more avenues than there are hours. And so what I really focus people on is your email. Cause that's your only of all of those, those are, that's your one asset that you own. Uh, I always tease, you know, Mark Zuckerberg can take his ball and go home tomorrow. And all these people that have built, built up their Facebook following and it's even starting to turn this way where it's a pay to play kind of exposure thing now, uh, but they could change it. And all of a sudden anything you've invested there or worked hard on developing a community there can just go away. Um, you know, a lot of these uh, cloud fundraising platforms, if you're not on the front page of those things, you're gone. But how do you start to drive traffic to these things? It's through your email list. And so making sure you're growing it, that you're uh, effectively using the medium, not blasting people. I hate the word e-blast. I just don't say it. Anyone listen to the podcast, <laughs> bow with me right now. Never say e-blast again. We don't blast people. We communicate with people, right? So, uh, you know, using email in a way that's talking one-to-one -to, -one to people, segmenting your audience and says, I know they care about this. Let's talk to them about this. Let's not talk to them about the organization. Let's talk to them about the impact we're having. Uh, and if you can get that principle down, mainly through online, you're going to do really well. They don't care about the organization. They care about your impact. Let's talk about the impact. And so growing your email list, talking about the impact uh, are the two big things. And uh, you really want to double, triple down on those things because they will last. They're not going to be new in 10 years. It's still going to, the way, in 10 years, what's going to work really well in online fundraising is having a large audience that you communicate well to. That's going to work. Yeah. There's going to be new Internet of Things giving, there's going to be, who knows, right? We just don't know. But we do know is if we have an audience that trusts us, that we've cultivated, that we've communicated well with, then we're going to be in good, we're going to be set up really well to succeed, uh, regardless of what comes out next. That's right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I think one of the big things now is just the, the recognition that um, testing out in all of these different channels and, and platforms uh, is important, but not to get ra too wrapped around the axle in any one in particular to be a little bit diversified and have really good content strategy that sort of works on any platform. Um, but then, like you said, I think, you know, uh, even though email to some of us feels a little bit old and antiquated, if we're, you know, more used to Slack or SMS or whatever we're doing, email still um, carries the day in terms of a way to communicate, number one. And number two, it's it's amazing how many nonprofits that we see that are just not sophisticated. You know, it's sort of like the quarterly e-blast, right? I mean, that's kind of the... Don't say blast, Gabe. We yeah. just vowed. Come on, man. No blasts. Yeah. So quarterly newsletter. And and so that's the, <laughs> that's the model as opposed to, you know, behavior-driven marketing automation, like drip series that all are, are personalized to individual donors. These are things that you know, they're, they're doing outside of the nonprofit space, but it's amazing. Even if I look at my own inbox, how few of the organizations I'm engaged with have that kind of sophistication around email, which is kind of like the, the baseline of technology, really. Yeah. Email is great when it's, when you anticipate it, when it provides value, you know, there's all, there's certain emails we all love getting, whether it's from our favorite brand or, a shoe company or coffee retailer, whatever it is, right? We, we look yep. for those things. So how can the nonprofit create communications that fit in that category? Well, it means understanding your audience. It means using their first name. So we got to, you know, grab their first name. It means uh, knowing when the direct mail appeal dropped so that the email complements it uh, and social media backs it up. 
not just, again, having all these silos of communications and we don't like, oh, we didn't realize that was going to them. It's like, no, just let's get on the same page because that's what donors, that's their experience. They're going to get a letter. They're going to get Facebook posts, maybe Facebook ads now, and then, um, you know, emails. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, we've been dealing with this, is this the new data regulations that are falling, coming down from the EU? Yeah. Uh, and that's really affecting kind of people across the pond. Uh, but it's, I mean, don't hold your breath, uh, U.S. fundraisers. It's coming here. Like if this, they can get this off the ground, it's going to be soon where uh, lawmakers here are going to want similar kind of laws and restrictions. And so it's just good to start to get into the habit of let's make sure people opt in. Let's yeah. make sure that they opt in regularly by their actions. And if they don't, then, then let's purge them from the file. Yeah. Uh, let's tell them how we're going to use your data. Uh, and those are, there are pain points now, but I think it's going to be accepted and it's going to, people who adopt it and move that way earlier are going to be the winners in this yep. case. And it affects technology companies. I know you guys have had to deal with it. Yep. Uh, and it's a pain point. And I think most nonprofits are still a little bit oblivious to it. Um, but it's, in a, it's just, it's good marketing and we need to get better at that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. The new regulations really remind me of of SEO roles where, you know, everybody's like, Hey, what do we do to hack Google to get on top of search? And, and the answer is just write good content that people actually like and read. Right. It's really simple. I feel like it's the same with emails. It's like, how do we get around these email regulations? Well, you, you ask people permission to send them stuff and they'll say yes. And then send them stuff that they like. And it, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of just relationship one-on-one at the end of the day. And so I think just moving in that direction independent of, of regulation is so important. Yeah. I love it. Like how do we get off this blacklist to this email server? <laughs> well, Don't. stop blasting people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That's great. Okay. Uh, kind of finish up the, the, at least the formal part of the podcast. Uh, what one piece of advice would you give? I mean, you're, you're talking to people all day, every day, um, what's the one thing that you tell people you think that moves the needle the most? Um, I, I keep telling people this and then I have to keep repeating myself. So either I'm communicating poorly or uh, I got to frame it in a different way because uh, they're not getting the message, but it's, it's talk about the donor. The donor is the hero. Hmm. And anytime, you know, I had this conversation this morning, we were talking through an email copy and, and he's like, what if we say, you know, because of this, you know, X organization is able to do this. I go, they don't care about you. It's about the impact. Yeah. So it's like, no donor, Mr. Donor, you, Mr. And Mrs. Donor, you enabled this to happen. We we're just the conduit. And so the more we can focus on the donor, it's called donor centric communications, the better off you're going to be. That's right. Um, and it's easy to say it's hard to put in practice and it's harder to even embed in an organization because you, you think from your brand, you're not thinking about the donor. And we, if you can kind of f like reframe your, your worldview around that, you're going to have more success than people that don't. Absolutely. I love that. Hugely important and rarely done, but man, so important. Um, okay. Well, that's, that was the last formal question I have. I, I do have a few kind of lightning round questions that we typically do at the end of this thing, if you don't mind. Let's do them. All right. Awesome. So, uh, first one is most impactful book in the last year. And if it is not the last year, I know you got a little one at home, so your reading's probably slowed a little bit, but, um, most impactful book that you've read. 
Yeah, um, it's easy because it still stands out for me, but it, the title is called Unequal, and it's written by a, a friend of mine who's a, um, a pastor, but it's around um, how kind of to point out guys like white guys like Gabe and I really have no clue what it's like to be an African-American historically contextually. Um, and we're not talking about like being worried about the police pulling us over just like the, the privileges that we've been given that we assume like we're just unaware of that don't exist uh, for people of color. And it's been uh, enlightening and it's been challenging and it, but it's really reframed my, my mindset around right race relations. And the reason why we're here, where we are, where we, there's some movement, but we're not close, uh, but it's a systemic issue that um, we, we still haven't sorted out culturally uh, in, in, you know, in the nation. Um, and it's, it, that's been really impactful. It's got a bit of a downer, but I'm glad I read it. I encourage other people to read it, uh, especially white guys. Uh, white guys need to read this book because it, it it's going to open your eyes to stuff you're just not even aware of, but we need to be, especially yeah. if we're talking about uh, a free and open society where people are, are valued for, what, for who they are, uh, their effort, their energy, their, uh, their ideas, and not just um, their appearance. Uh, it's, it, it's been impactful for me. That's great. I'll put that one on my list for sure. I was actually just a couple of weeks ago at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. And I was there with an uh, um, African-American buddy of mine. He's actually a Jamaican extent, uh, or Bahamas um, uh, from background. And so his experience has been a little bit different, but he's a professor. So I asked him the list of books that I should read. And so I already have a growing list. And so this one just made my, my growing list, which is great. Yeah, there's a lot been written on it. Um... And we just, yeah, I've been kind of blinded to it and I'm kind of pulling those blinders off and really trying to um, be much more aware of it. I'm trying to pay attention. I said that to do that with you donors, but this too uh, is something I'm trying to pay attention to. That's great. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, favorite podcast, favorite show on Netflix. If you're not doing the podcast, I know your commute is super short, so maybe you're not a podcast guy right now, but um, what kind of over the wire podcast stuff you listen to? Yeah, I'm I'm a big Tim Ferriss for our work week um, podcast fan. I I used to re- listen to all of his stuff, and I still listen to it quite a bit. Um, lately, I've been doing kind of more. It seems like podcasts are growing. I'll probably you know you have one now. Um, I have a lot of other friends that have them, and so I try to drop it on theirs too. But uh, there's a fun one, at least for fundraisers, called the Fundraising Life uh, that I listen to every once in a while. It just gives me people I don't know. I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're doing really cool stuff, and so that's another yeah. one I try to listen to when I have time. The fundraising life. I don't yeah. think I have, I mean, I have a bunch of nonprofit fundraising podcasts, but I don't think I have that one off to add it. I like that. That's a good one. The other one I just got to drop it is hardcore history by Dan Carlin. Yeah. If you are on a long car trip and you need nine yeah. hours and you want to hear about uh, Roman civilization or the great cons, it's amazing. <laughs> He's so great. Oh my gosh. That guy's. Yeah. I just started one of his, like uh, it's maybe on like pain and suffering or torture or something in the last however many years. And it's just, it's so eye opening and intense. It's, but you can't, it's, they're long, so you can't bite too much off, but they're great. Oh, they're so good. I love his stuff. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. You need people, you need to check it out. Hardcore history. Got to check it out. That's great. On it. Um, Okay, so last one, um, uh, your dad, husband, trying to run a company, running, traveling a lot. Um, what do you do to kind of relax, de-stress? How do you stay sane? 
Um, yeah, I'm looking for tips on this too. Uh, I don't know. I don't have it figured out very well. I try to take walks is my big deal. Walks. And then recently I've tried to, this is impacting my podcast listening is to, when I drive is to do no noise, like no radio, wow. just to be quiet with my thoughts. Uh, and I quickly can tell how quickly I'm distracted or what bubbles up and realize, whoa, this is not, <laughs> I got some stuff in here that I need to talk about or, uh, so that's how I keep saying most of the time it's filled with thoughts on, on the business or clients. Sure. Um, but I know when that, when my thoughts are quieter, I'm a bit, I'm at a better spot and, um, that's kind of my gauge. Uh, so quiet in the car, it doesn't work with the baby. It doesn't work when you're driving with someone else. But when I, you know, when I'm going to get dinner or something, it's, tr I try to be quiet. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard. I, I kind of get itchy. I'm like, oh, I'll turn yeah. some music on. It's like, no, it's good to good to sit and good to have quiet every once in a while. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, there's a, um, I think it's a Swindoll book maybe that has this chapter. I think he's quoting somebody else, but talking about like monkeys going crazy in your mind and it's not till you have silence that all the monkeys kind of get tired and settle down enough to even know what you're thinking. And so it's a great yeah, practice in today's day and age. Yeah, you got to like, yeah, you got to put up with a month of monkeys before you can start to get to the, <laughs> yeah. the good stuff. But if you don't, I, I think we're missing out on a lot of, um, we've regulated the spiritual disciplines to like, um, monks and like people that live in robes. And I think there's a lot of ways that modern people can really benefit, uh, from those things and those practices, silence and solitude, fasting, um, being aware of, of gratitude. Um, uh, yeah, just to name a quick, quick few. That's great. I love it. Well, Brad, it's been awesome to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Always super enlightening and uh, look forward to doing it again. Gabe, thanks so much for having me. You guys are doing great work. Keep it up. Uh, you're really making a difference for folks and I'm glad to be, uh, to know you and be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Modern Nonprofit Fundraiser. The podcast is brought to you by Virtuous the CRM and marketing automation software helping charities raise more money and create more good. Be sure to rate and subscribe. For more resources, head to virtuouscrm.com.